good evening, good afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in. I'm going to be speaking a little bit about the April 25th national mobilization, which is focusing around car caravans in as many as 40 cities, perhaps more, that will be demanding, first and foremost, the cancellation of the rent. Cancellation of the rent, not just a moratorium on evictions. In other words, saying it so your landlord can't evict a tenant who doesn't, doesn't pay for a few months, but then the, the rent continues to accumulate over those three months, but that all of the rental payments during the duration of this pandemic must be canceled, must be waived. And not just for renters, but also for homeowners, their mortgage payments should just be canceled during the duration of this pandemic. And also for uh, small businesses and small landlords, because small landlords, you know, even though they're landlords, many of them can't go three or four months with, you know, without any income. And if they don't pay their mortgage, that means their tenants are also going to be uh, evicted when that home is foreclosed. So we're focusing on the issue of housing because this is the urgent issue uh, among many other urgent issues with the rent and the mortgages being due in just uh, another week. Uh, but this is only one part of our overall program. And I want to just speak a little bit about what that program is and why we think it's so urgent that people take part in these protests on Saturday, April 25th. Now, I want to say from the beginning, it's going to be nothing like the right wing reactionary protests that are that are refusing to observe social distancing guidelines. For our part, we believe that it's absolutely necessary that people observe these guidelines. It's one of the reasons why we're doing it uh, in cars. We'll be masked up as well. Um, but there's nothing that stops us and there's no public health risk from going in your car, hanging out, hanging a banner out of the window or on the side of, of the car that says cancel the rents. Uh, we have a website, canceltherents.org, where you can find more information uh, about that. Um, I want to just share a little bit about what, what, uh, what the thinking was in launching this initiative. We believe that the United States of America is entering a new era of class struggle, a new era of class struggle that will last from far beyond when this pandemic ends. Of course, the class war is always ongoing. Uh, it's the, the difference is that it's usually just the working class that's taking all the licks while the capitalist class is, is doing all the beating. Uh, we believe a new period of class struggle is, is on the, verge of opening up, and you can already see it with the heroic struggles of, of Amazon workers, of grocery workers, the wildcat strikes that are taking place. And uh, in fact, this is just the tip of the iceberg for what is to come. Right now, people are in crisis just thinking about how are they going to live? How are they going to survive? I'm, I'm speaking to you from Elmhurst, Queens. Uh, I looked up the data last night, and the the infection rate of just confirmed cases is now one in every 45 people who live in Elmhurst, Queens. There's 2,200 confirmed cases in a zip code that has 100,000 people. And in Corona, Queens, right next door, it's even higher. This is four times the rate, the peak rate of Wuhan in China, which was one in 200. That's what's happening right outside my window right here. A huge public health crisis. It'll be a miracle if we get through this video without a siren going by. And so people, of course, are thinking first and foremost about their health. Um, but <clears throat> the public health crisis is in, in and of itself a reflection of a class war. 
I'm here in Elmhurst where the hospitals and the clinics have long been underserviced. They've always been at capacity. Where the community here is largely immigrant workers who had no access to preventive care, no access to insurance. And, and so for a long time, Elmhurst Hospital has been a very difficult place to go. And now it's completely stretched past capacity. There's a huge housing crisis in this neighborhood, which you don't see when you walk outside. You don't see it because immigrant communities are largely living five, six, seven to an apartment that's supposed to have two or three people. Living rooms are being rented out for, for whole families to stay in. So how in a community like that, in these kind of social conditions, is it possible to practice social distance? It's not possible. So the housing crisis and the public health crisis are going together. And if people end up evicted uh, or foreclosed during this crisis, that means they're going to be outside and that means they're going to be at risk. The unemployment crisis has already reached something that has not been seen since the Great Depression. 22 million people in the last four weeks have filed for unemployment insurance. That's not even the real number because there's lots of people who are between jobs who are not going to be able to apply, people without papers who are not going to be able to apply, people who had stopped looking for work from before this who are not going to be able to apply, the prisoners who are not going to be able to apply, of course, uh, who are not counted in the unemployed. Um, but the real number of people who are out of work and the real number of families that are hurting is way beyond 22 million. And I think this week it's going to be even higher because how long can a small business or even a big business in some cases, how long can they hold out with no income coming in before they start letting, off, letting go of more people? And this crisis of 22 million, we're starting to see the glimmers of it. We're starting to see the, the glimpses of it in the food pantries the food lines, the, the people waiting four to six hours from their cars in long lines stretching many blocks in San Antonio and Detroit and Minneapolis, all over the place, waiting for one box of food or one bag of food. And to think that when those workers, and whether they have a job right now or not, they're workers. When those workers go home, they have to essentially be rationing every single meal and, and they're not working, and it's not because they haven't, they've chosen to not work. They're not working because the government has told them, for public health reasons, they have to stay home. So just wrap your head around the absurdity of this, that the government is telling people they cannot work, they should not work, telling businesses to close down, and yet all of your bills are still going to be due? Doesn't the government have an obligation, if it's going to shut down basically the whole economy, to make sure that people are not going hungry, are not going to be evicted at the end of this. This is a very elementary and simple program that we're, we're putting forward here of canceling the rents and canceling the mortgages. Um, many countries have done it. And it's not just the socialist countries. The socialist countries, in a lot of ways, are doing the best. But even the capitalist countries are, are canceling the rents, canceling credit card payments, canceling payments on utilities on electricity, on water, on internet. All these things can easily be waived and canceled. They should be. It's the only fair and just thing to do. The reason they haven't been is not, a, not really a feature of ineptitude or inaction, although that is part of it. It's a part of a class war because the government is acting very quickly and very uh, uh, successfully, we should say, to hand over trillions of dollars of money to the banks and the corporations. They've handed over in the first bailout $6 trillion, handed it over to back up oil companies, airlines, 
banks, hedge funds, insurance companies, to make sure that those companies and the executives who run them, they don't go belly up. But the working class is waiting. Many of us are still waiting for the $1,200 check, which is starting to feel like an illusion. Others who have gotten the check have already spent the check on those bills that I just mentioned. The unemployment insurance, how many of those 22 million have been able to really even that, like get through or started to get their checks? How many other people have got a you know, website down kind of error? I mean, the whole unemployment system is broken. The small businesses, they haven't been able to get, a lot of them haven't been able to get their loans either. So they're inventing another bailout. Um, but if the second bailout is anything like the first bailout, that's really going to be a scam. You know, the airline industries applied for and got billions of dollars under the Small Business Administration. Delta and American Airlines are now small businesses. So this is really the class character of the government has just been exposed, unmasked in a matter of months. Because a lot of those 22 million workers um, a month ago, they, they might have been doing okay. And the media and the politicians are all saying, well, we all have to stick together. We all have to tighten our belts. We all have to you know, come together as a country to get through this crisis. We're all going to, you know, we're, we're all suffering. We're all anxious. But no, we're not all anxious the same way. You know, why does the working class always have to wait? That's the real message of our, um, of our April 25th demonstration. And our answer is that the working class doesn't have to wait. The working class can, can start taking action now. It's not sufficient to wait for some progressive legislators in the Democratic Party to, to sort of come in and create these emergency programs that we need. Some of them have even put forward bills similar to what we're saying, like canceling the rent. Re Representative Ilhan Omar uh, from Minnesota. Now, if these bills were to actually become law, this would be a huge advance. But we have to really ask, and I think it's worth asking, why isn't the, that section of the Democratic Party putting a stop to these bailout bills and using their leverage and saying, we will not let this pass unless it includes something for the working class. It's not enough to just write a nice bill and put it on your website. If you're not actually going to fight for it, fight for it in Washington, then you're really just carrying out an act of deception, making us hope that something passes when it never will. So it's important that the working class, which is, has long been under attack, the vast majority of which, you know, 150 million people were in or near poverty before this crisis. They couldn't survive uh, not receiving their paychecks uh, for, for two cycles. They would go broke. They would be in poverty. Well, now those two pay cycles have passed. It's been a month since the shutdown, and now that crisis is really upon us. So it's extremely important that the social force of the working class, without which nothing could move in the society, start to be felt. The farm workers, especially the, the, the workers who don't have papers. You know, they've been bullied and beaten down, intimidated, mocked, ridiculed, scapegoated for so long. Now all of society is starting to see just how essential those workers are. And once they begin to mobilize their social force, then the things that, were, that seemed impossible just a month ago or two months ago, like full legalization for all those workers, uh, can become possible. And the same is true for the canceling the rent, the same is true for Medicare for all. The same is true for an immediate subsidy of two or three or even more thousand dollars per month to every family so they can survive. All these things can be made possible, but we have to fight. The working class's uh, uh, power has to be felt. So whether April 25th 
that's, it's not all going to happen in one day. We don't think tens of millions are going to come out on April 25th, but we want to get this process going. We want to get this struggle going because as organizers and revolutionaries, we're not just trying to be spectators of a social process. We have to look at what's going on and anticipate what's coming next and then try to intervene in it with tactics and strategies that bring to bear the full power of the working class so that we can advance the struggle, not just so we can beat back the attacks of the banks or the corporations or the employers or the governments that are denying paid sick leave, but so that we can actually win concessions from the ruling class. I want to also note one other thing, which might seem like a separate issue, but it's really not a separate issue. Right now, the U.S. government is carrying out, as Sheila said, I'm so happy that Sheila made that presentation about the scapegoating of China. Right now, Donald Trump is threatening to bomb, um, to, is telling the U.S. military that it should destroy Iranian boats off the coast of Iran, we should add, um, and potentially bring the, the country to a new war in the middle of this pandemic. Now, just recall, only three, four months ago, we were within a whiskers length of a full-blown war with Iran when, when Trump assassinated the top general of Iran. Now he's also deploy, deploying warships to the eastern coast of Venezuela, threatening that country with a full-scale invasion in the middle of a pandemic. We have to see these things as interconnected and part of our same struggle. While we're building a socialist and a working class movement that can meet the urgency of this moment, we're also going to do so with an internationalist and anti-war perspective. Because honestly, what is the purpose of these wars, these interventions, these, these belligerent threats? It's all a form of distraction and deception. It's all a way of keeping us from fighting our own ruling class by seeing the enemy as some other country. It's the sort of classic, look over here while we thieve you, while we steal from you, while we take money out of your pockets while we funnel billions to the banks and corporations. Go look at Iran, Venezuela, China. Those are, those are your real enemies. That's who's to blame for the situation you're in. So we can't really build a class conscious movement in this country unless we're also raising these issues. And these wars and these sanctions are already killing people in those countries. Just to think about the Iranian or Venezuelan people in government that they're already dealing with a pandemic and now they have to divert resources to think about a full-scale invasion from the largest military in the world, it's a true crime. And of course, the Democrats, again, are not calling this out, not calling for a full uh, elimination of the sanctions, not calling out these war threats. So both parties are really functioning together to carry out a deception, to carry out a, a, a policy that can only be characterized as criminal against the working class of the United States and the peoples of the world. And that's the type of uh, politics that we're going to be raising on April 25th. And we hope that you join us. And we hope that you um, don't just join us on that day, but become an organizer. This is the time where we need organizers. Every person who's devoted to, to advancing the struggle should be able to reach five or 10 other people right now. You know, you, you might have thought if you had radical ideas, you were by yourself. But right now, reality itself has become very radical. And a new era of class struggle is opening. And it's time for the radicals to stand up, speak out, and organize as we never have before.